Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys are with us on Wednesday night for our AGM and celebration send-off for John and Lisa, you'll, you'll know two things. Uh, the first thing is that even as Donovan was sharing about, about giving and generosity, that, that the church is in just a, such a, an incredibly strong financial position, and so the Lord is good. So how many of you guys are at the AGM and you just uh, were, were able to see the goodness of the Lord? And uh, the second thing you'll know is, is that John and Lisa are on sabbatical, so they're off on, on three months of rest, and so that means I get to, get to look after us for, for the, the next three months. And, and John did a very dangerous thing. Yay. I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but, but thank you for the love. <laughs> John did a very dangerous thing. He prayed that his mantle would come upon me for this, this time. And, uh, and that is a dangerous thing, if you know John, when it comes to preaching. Um, yes, we'll leave it there. How many of you guys were around when, uh, when John covered a series on the book of Colossians? Put your hand up if you were around when he did that. It started out, you know, it's supposed to be a few weeks. It was more than a year, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> the funny thing was we even had a guest speaker, one of the guest speakers in that season. And what did he preach on? Colossians. We were like, oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> I think you are. Maybe we're just a bit slow in, in hearing. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but my paper Bible... It doesn't close anymore. If I put it down on the, on the shelf, it opens to Colossians. That's its default after a year in Colossians. And uh, so John prayed for me, handed the mantle over to me temporarily for these three months. And soon after that, I thought I need to do a systematic study of a book in the Bible. And so we're going to be in the book of Philippians, and we're going to do a study of the book of Philippians over the next couple of weeks. If you are still using a paper Bible, maybe it'll help to correct the Colossians opening, and maybe it'll find some kind of balance. Um, but if you've got a, a paper or digital Bible, if you wouldn't mind opening up to the book of Philippians, uh, we're going to read a couple of verses there. This morning, we're going to cover verse 1 to verse 11. And uh, while you guys are opening, encourage you to please be praying for John and Lisa. Pray that the Lord will bless them. It'll be a time of rest and that you don't disturb that rest by bothering them. And that's why in the transition, we just brought all of our troubles before the Lord. Because I know a man. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and so, yeah, phone me. Phone your connect group leader. But let's, let's leave John and, John and Lisa to rest. And so we do ask you, don't, don't bother them in this time. All right, coming to the book of Philippians, the context here, this is a letter written by Paul, and uh, so in about Acts chapter 16, I think it was, Paul goes on his second missionary journey, and along his, his journey, he goes through multiple places, and one of the places he gets to is this, this town called Philippi. This is a, a Roman colony, uh, probably made up of ex-Roman uh, soldiers, and uh, so this is the, the place where Paul finds himself. Lord does some miraculous things, and Paul's part of this uh, church being planted in this, this town called Philippi. This is now a number of years later. Paul's in prison. We assume, we, we think it's in Rome uh, that he's in prison, and he's now writing a letter to the church in Philippi that he helped plant a number of years ago. And as we study this book over the, the next weeks and, and months, 
Don't worry, it's only got three months because John's coming back. So I can't be like John. We can't take a year. Um, but over these next weeks, as we unpack this, you'll see the, the fondness that Paul has for the Philippian church. And, uh, and there's just so much richness that we'll, we'll, we'll unpack. So let's read here in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So these are the 11 verses we're going to unpack and... uh, we're going to trust the Lord is going to speak to us and encourage us this morning. As we start out here, I love the humility of Paul. I mean, Paul's like the super apostle. He's, he, he goes on and writes half of the New Testament. Yet how does he approach the church as a servant of Christ Jesus? He's not coming, up, coming in and saying, listen, guys, I'm the apostle around here. And remember, I was the one that was there right at the beginning. I'm, I'm the one that started the whole work of God in your region you guys need to listen to me, and i got some things to say, and so listen up. No, he's not doing that. He's coming in low, saying, as a servant of Christ. Oh, I, I love the humility that we see in Paul, coming in as a servant. And who does he address the letter to? To all God's holy people. The ESV says, to all the saints. There's a few things for us to take out of even, even just these opening remarks. Uh, the one thing is that God is writing to all the saints. He's not writing only to the elders, the overseers, the deacons. He's not writing only to the leaders, to the clergy. He's writing to all the saints. The letter was for the whole church, the whole church of that region. This is for all of them. This is the scripture. See, God, God put the scriptures there for all of us. It's not just for for leaders. It's not just for your connect group leaders. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for people in full-time vocational ministry. No, it's for all of us. God wants to speak through the scriptures, and that's why the scriptures are addressed to all of you. And so on, on Monday morning when you wake up, I've got good news for you. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you through the, through the scriptures. And he wants to do the same on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday And Saturday and Sunday, he wants to speak to us through the scriptures because it's for all of us. The scripture is there for all of us. The second thing that we see is that Paul addresses not to the sinners saved by grace. Now, 
Who does he address his letter to? To God's holy people, or as the ESV put it, to the saints. You see, your very nature changed the moment you gave your life to Jesus, the moment you received the gift of salvation. Everything in you changed. You see, you used to be a sinner. And in that moment when you got saved, you were a sinner saved by grace. But when you got saved, everything changed. And you're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You have a new position in Christ. You are now a saint. If you were around when John covered Colossians, we covered this in great detail. But not all of you were here. We are saints. We're a new creation. And so it's a, it's a lie that we've been told that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, your identity is no longer sinner. Your identity is now saint. We don't have to sin anymore. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, guiding us in all righteousness. You don't believe me. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Not the new will be one day far off in the distant future. No, the new is here now. See, when we, when we receive the gift of life from Jesus, we become a new creation. The old is taken off and removed from us and we become a new creation. Not because of our own effort, not because of our own works, but because of the works of Jesus. We'll unpack that in a moment. But we are saints. You have a new nature. You're a new creation. Carries on in verse 3. And Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. Oh, as, as Paul's praying for the, the community, for the people in, in Philippi, he's bringing grateful, thankful prayers. Our prayers has become before him. And I shared on this a couple of weeks back, but that thanksgiving is so important. We enter his gates, his courts with, with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving is an absolute key. And so we see here that, that Paul thanking God every time he remembers them. He's approaching the Lord in prayer from a position of thanksgiving. Remember, as I share, we need to be thankful for one another. Even the person in your connect group that, that steps on your toes, that pushes your buttons, that says all the things that irritate you, come on, find deep down within you thankfulness for that person and then pray for them. <laughs> we need to find thankfulness as we come before the Lord in prayer. The next thing is that Paul says here is that he says, I, I thank God as I remember you. See, there, there's power in memory. God speaks through our memories. I, I'm slow at sometimes learning, but I've been learning that the Lord often speaks to me through my memories. And that's what Paul's saying over here. Is he's saying, as I remember, I pray for you. As the Lord brings a memory, I pray for you. I, uh, I want to encourage us that we we pray for one another. Maybe we, we, we intentionally have a list of people in your connect group and, and every morning you just take a moment to pray for two or three people in your connect group and the next morning for two or three others. But Paul prays for all of the Philippian church. He's not praying just for the leaders. He says, I, I pray for all of you. 
Let's pray for all of us. Let's pray for John and Lisa. Let's pray for me, please. <laughs> Let's pray for our connect group leaders. Let's pray for our, our city officials. Let's pray for our government. Let's pray for one another. Let's be a prayerful people. Let's come back to memory. I, I remembered while I was preparing about a memory that I had before. Uh, a memory about a memory. You guys are with me. And so this particular morning, uh, it was a couple of years ago, I, I was, it was a Sunday morning, I was, I was praying and I was just saying, Lord, what do you want to do this morning? Uh, my role that morning was I, was I was closing out the service and as we always do, we have an opportunity for ministry where people can respond to the Lord and, and come forward for healing or for whatever ministry that they need. And I was like, Lord, what do you want to do? Will you give me some words of knowledge? Will you speak to me about what you're wanting to do uh, that, that faith might be released into the room as I share words of knowledge. And so, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Please, please speak to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm in this place of prayer, and I think I'm having breakfast at the same time, maybe. It's early in the morning. And, and next thing I find myself, I'm sitting on the couch, and I think I got too relaxed, and I find myself daydreaming. I'm, I'm daydreaming about a friend from primary school. And I haven't seen this friend I think I saw him once since primary school, and that was decades ago. I know I look only 21, but I'm a few years older than that. So this is, this is decades ago, and, I, and I'm having this memory about this old school friend of mine. And, and as I kind of come, come to and, and wake up from my daydream, I rebuke myself, and I'm like, Daryl, come on, pull yourself towards yourself and focus on the Lord for God's sake. In the genuine sense, for God's sake. Like, you're supposed to be focusing on Him, and yeah, you are daydreaming about primary school. Like, come on, can't you even just focus for a few minutes? You're supposed to be a leader. Daryl, come on, I'm giving myself a pep talk. And as I'm giving myself this pep talk and bringing correction to myself, uh, I feel the Holy Spirit say, well, maybe there's something in this. And so I'm like, oh, I don't know, this sounds just like a memory, but let's, let's see. I have enough faith to to. to Go to the next step. And so I write down some notes on my phone. And, uh, and this particular friend of mine, uh, his name was Ross. And when he was a child, when he was about two, he put his finger into a plug socket and he got a, uh, an obviously an electrical shock. And uh, it caused major damage in the muscles, tendons in his hand. And so he needed multiple surgeries uh, through his you know, early years of life to try and uh, repair the damage that took place in, in the hand. And so I think, well, okay, maybe there's someone at church that had a, a shock and um, and God wants to heal them. And so I write down those details. The end of the service comes, and I release this word of knowledge. Is there anyone that when you were a child, you had an electrical shock, and it caused some damage, and I feel the Lord wants to, wants to heal you? Um, and, and I release the word. I got no idea if anyone's responding to that word or not. Um, I'm still thinking probably this was just Daryl daydreaming, but, you know, I, I'm taking a step of faith, and let's see what happens. Service is finished. We go downstairs. Everyone's having tea, coffee. I come back upstairs. I need to fetch something from the auditorium up front here. And, uh, and this young guy walks past, and I greet him, and um, he says, oh, hey, by the way, Daryl, that, 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 that young boy that put his finger and then got the shock, like, that was me. I had an electrical shock when I was a child. I just wanted to encourage you that that, that was me. And I'm like, no ways. That's so exciting. Thank you, Jesus. It wasn't just daydreaming. You were actually speaking to me. And so uh, I'm like, hey, man, that's so encouraging. Thank you for sharing. My name's Daryl. He shakes my hand. He says, hey, I'm Ross. I'm like, no ways. 
Jesus spoke to me with a memory of a friend from literally like 25 years before that one day, a few years back, there'd be another guy who also had an electric shock, whose name was also Ross, that God would be able to encourage him. Come on, isn't God just crazy cool? Why do I share that? Because God wants to speak to you through your memories. And he wants to use you as a source of encouragement through your memories. Because sometimes when you're, you're driving to work and, and praise God for load shedding and traffic, isn't it just beautiful? That's finding the, the blue sky behind the clouds. <laughs> but when you're stuck in traffic because of load shedding and you, there's just a traffic jam and you find yourself daydreaming. Anyone find themselves daydreaming? I daydream a lot. <laughs> Maybe God's speaking to you through your dreaming. Maybe God's speaking to you through your memories of something that happened long ago. And maybe you find yourself as you're stuck in traffic and you randomly start thinking about that time when you had lunch with someone in the connect group and you haven't seen that person for a while and you're just fondly remembering the delicious food you ate and you're fondly remembering the, the fellowship and the conversation you had and you're just reflecting and reminiscing on, on, on that good encounter. Well, I want to say that maybe it's not just a memory but maybe it's Holy Spirit speaking. Because maybe that person who you had that lunch with, God is wanting you to be thankful in lifting them up in prayer and maybe reach out to them with a prophetic word, maybe to encourage them, to strengthen them, to, to do something because he's speaking to you through your memories. So I want to encourage us, let's not ignore our memories. Let's not pretend that we're just daydreaming or think that we're just daydreaming and, and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? God, are you speaking to me through this memory right now? And is there something I need to do with this memory, whether that be prayer, whether it be praying for the person, whether it be just reaching out and just saying, hey, I just wanted to tell you I was thinking about you today and, and I'm so appreciative of you. I'm, I'm so thankful for you and the Lord loves you. And that's all. I, I just phoned you just to say that and God bless you. Come on, anyone like receiving a phone call like that? When someone phones you just to tell you, hey, you're appreciated and you're loved. Come on, well, let's be those people that give the phone calls. And, and one of the ways that that'll happen is God's going to speak to you through your memories. Paul carries on and he's saying, it's with joyful prayer as he, as, he, as he thanks the Lord, as he remembers them, he prays for them, and then he prays for them with joy. Oh man, joyful prayers are powerful prayers. As we, as we come before the Lord in prayer, we're thankful. We're aware of what he's saying through our memories. And then we come before him with joy. Oh, joy is so powerful. You see, I think sometimes we're, we're faced with trouble. We're faced with opposition. Darkness comes and it tries to overwhelm you. Anyone ever experienced any trouble in their life? <laughs> You know, the, the beautiful thing about trouble is it moves you. Because when trouble is facing you, you get moved. <laughs> you don't stay stationary when trouble is coming at you. No, you get moved. And one of the things you get moved to do is you get moved to pray. I mean, you, you just need to put an atheist in a life or death situation and, and, and that person will be moved to pray. You see, when, when trouble comes against us, it moves us. And it moves us 
often to prayer. That's a good thing. But we need to remember that when we're moved to prayer, what is our approach and what is the, the, the attitude that we're coming before the Lord with? Are we coming before Him inspired and motivated by fear because of the trouble? Because that's, that's often what happens. I mean, I'm just speaking about myself here. Uh, you know, sometimes there's, there's trouble, there's opposition, there's sickness, there's disease, whatever it is that's coming against you. Feel like the, the headwind is strong. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. But sometimes the, the motivation behind that, that prayer is fear of what might happen. Anyone else sometimes do that? And that's okay. But what's more powerful is when, when that fear is pressing against you, that you remind yourself of your position in Him. Because remember, you're a new creation. Remember, the old has gone, the new has come. Remember, something new is in you. God is in you. You see, let, let, me, let me put it like this. I was, I was at my parents' house having a, a braai last night. And, you know, I haven't lived in my parents' house for a long time, over 20 years, I think it is. But when I go into the house, I have the freedom to open up the fridge and eat any food or drink any cool drink. Uh, I, I know where the goody cupboard is, the cupboard with all the good stuff in. It hasn't moved since I lived in the house. It's still in the same spot. I know where it is. <laughs> and I have the freedom to open up that cupboard and, and take anything out of there and, and eat it. And, and my mom or dad would not say anything. They would they'd probably say, oh, would you like something else? Or do you want some of these? Or Because I'm a son in the house. Now, Let's, let's imagine if a beggar pushes the doorbell asking for food or help. Now, hopefully, they'll maybe get some help from my parents, but I can assure you they will not have the same access that I've got. You see, because I, as a son, have access in my parents' house that a beggar doesn't have in my parents' house. Sometimes I think we approach God as a beggar. Oh, God, we need this. We need this fear. Ah, trouble. Ah, headwind. Ah, God, help. Ah, I'm begging because I just don't know where else to go. I need help. In those times, we need to remind ourselves, who are we? We are sons and daughters of the king, and we've got access to his kingdom. We've got access to his presence, and so we can pray prayers that are filled with joy and peace because we've got access. And so just as Paul prays, prayers filled with joy, when we come before the Lord in prayer, know that you can come before Him with joy, knowing that you're a son, that you're a daughter, that you have access. You don't have to approach Him as a beggar. Amen? Romans 8 verse 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And with Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Oh, we're children of the King. We have access, we have permission. We don't have to pray prayers 
that are driven by fear. But we can pray from a place of peace and joy. Because remember, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, God in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Carries on. Let's just pause over there. If we're to bring heaven on earth, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to pray prayers that bring about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Romans, uh, which one was it now? Lost myself in my notes. It's disappeared. Anyway, I'll quote it. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, if we're going to bring the kingdom, we pray prayers filled with joy because when we're praying with joy, joy is the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And so we're bringing the kingdom when we position ourselves from a joy-filled perspective before the Lord. Amen. Romans 14, 17. I thought it was that. Carries on Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Some of us need to hear that this morning. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now, Paul's referring here to the good work that began in us when we get born again, when we get saved. He who began a good work in you. Now, how many of you got saved because of your intellectual prowess? Because you're just an intellectual ninja and so you discovered it all and you mapped it out and you understood God. And so before the creation of time, you knew everything. And so because you're so smart, you got saved. Um, and so actually you didn't even need a savior because you were so smart you could figure it out you didn't need anything and uh, like no we got saved not because of our own works but because of the works of someone else his name is Jesus see this, this is not a balancing act and the world tells us this lie that, that it's, it's this battle between good and evil and, and you know if this side is good and this side is evil as, as long as your good is outweighing the evil meaning it's, it's higher there's more good like, like oh you're, you're doing okay you're winning at, at life and so it's, it's not about righteousness and integrity and, and holiness it's just about good and evil and as long as the good outweighs the bad you're fine you know, you don't have to know Jesus. All roads lead to Rome. This is what the world tells us. All religions are the same. It's all the same, God. And as long as your good outweighs the bad, you're fine. Heresy, lie, deception. Not one of us, not one of us was pure and righteous enough and good enough to access his presence in our own strength and standing. Just one blemish, just one sin. And you're disqualified. Just one. Throughout your entire life. Not like in a day, like your entire life. One sin and you're disqualified from his presence. You see, the, the whole history of the Old Testament reveals to us that we cannot do it in our own strength. Man is not capable in our own strength of living a pure and holy, righteous life until Jesus came. And Jesus showed us, he modeled something, and he showed that it is possible, not in our own strength, but in his strength. 
You see, when He lives inside of us, when He equips and enables us with the Holy Spirit, we're able to live a life of righteousness, not because of us, but because of Him. And so His righteousness becomes our righteousness. You see, we started this journey not by our own strength. He who began a good work in you. So let's not start the journey hopefully knowing that it's not because of us, but it's because of Him. Let's not start in that position and then transition into a workspace thing of, well, now by my own striving and works, I'm going to bring to completion what God began. No, what He started, He will bring to completion. And what do we do is we posture ourselves in His presence. We posture ourselves in a place of intimacy with him as we serve him as we follow him as we love him as we become disciples of Jesus as we become more like him that's all we have to do and as we do that he brings to completion the very thing he started in you and so some of you you've 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 forgotten about your 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 prophetic dreams you've you've you've, you've let go of the the prophetic destiny that you felt God had for you And I want to say to you, it's not too late. What he started, he will bring to completion. What he started, he will bring to completion in your life. Because it's not by your own works and striving, it's by the grace of the Lord. And as we just position ourselves in him, as we follow him, as we walk out our lives in obedience to him, he works all things together for good for those that love him. He will bring to completion what he started in your life. It's not too late. Amen? Amen. Carry on in verse 7, Philippians 1. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. A few things that we can take out of this verse. Let's just remember the context here. Paul was a Jew. He grew up as a Jew. He was trained as a Jew. He was persecuting Christians before he had his Damascus Road experience. Acts chapter 9. He grew up as a Jew. Now we've got this this town in Philippi. They're Romans. Culturally very different. They come from different worldviews. They see things differently. But we see as we read through the book of Philippians the affection that Paul has for the Philippian church. He loves them. He's embracing the diversity of the different cultures. He's embracing them as they are. And as they're in Christ and his in Christ, there's this mutual affection for one another. See, it's, it's talking, it's hinting this verse about the diversity within the kingdom. I love the diversity that we have here in breakthrough in the kingdom. And uh, I think it was Paul Manry. I can't remember exactly. I think it was him. He shared with me somewhere, and I think it was his trip last year, might have been the year before, that, that as he's traveled the world um, and seen churches all over, that, that most places in the world, the church is not diverse. We take America as an example, and, and this was just, I'm, I'm quoting, I don't know if it was Paul, but we'll say it was. Um, you know, there's, there's the African-American cultural group in America, and they'll have their church, an African-American church. Then there's the Hispanic culture. They'll have 
an Hispanic church. There's the Latino culture, they'll have a Latino church. There's the Caucasian, they'll have a Caucasian church. The, the church is not diversified. And he said, South Africa is one of the only places he's found in the world where there, there's cultural diversity within the church. Come on, isn't that good news? And so we need more diversity. We, we, we need to be Every tribe, every tongue, every culture, together, united, not because of cultural you know, likeness, but because of kingdom likeness, that we together worship Him and honor Him and love one another despite our different worldviews and perspectives. You see, the kingdom brings us all together that we might be united because of Jesus. He's the one that brings us together. And so we see this diversity in, in the Philippian church and Paul's affection for them. But then he says he, he, he's defending and confirming the gospel. Wow. When we read the, the gospels, we actually see Paul doing this a lot. We see in the book of Acts a number of times he finds himself in, uh, in, in, in court and he has to defend himself before the judge. We see Paul addressing crowds of people and there's critics. And, and the critics may be asking questions or being critical of, of him preaching or of, well, you used to be the one killing them. Now, how come you're preaching the same message? Like, what's going on here, Paul? And he has to defend the gospel and defend his position. We see multiple times through the, the book of Acts especially that, that Paul defends the gospel. Gospel needs to be defended and it needs to be confirmed. And our role as sons and daughters is that we get to do the same. We're actually called and invited to do the same. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, we're called to be ready, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have at any time. We're called to defend our position of the gospel, and we need to be ready to do that at any point in time. If someone wakes you at 3 a.m. in the morning and says, why do you have hope in Jesus? Um, because he loves me, because he's good, because he said whatever your answer might be. You need to be ready at any time, night or day, to give an answer, to defend the gospel that dwells within you. You know what the good news is? That we don't do this in our own strength. <laughs> the Lord is so gracious to us. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And so we need to be prepared. We need to have a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Yet at the same time, as we prepared, as we are ready to give an answer, it's the Holy Spirit that will speak to us, that will guide us, that will lead us, that will give us the words to say. Isn't God just so gracious? The second thing that we do is we confirm the gospel message. Gospel needs defending and it needs confirming. We get to be partakers in this, just as Paul's writing over here, whether he's in chains whether he's defending or confirming the gospel. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. 
God also testified, or we could say God also confirmed it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. You see, when, when there's signs, wonders, miracles taking place, when there's healing, I mean, we just had such a, an outpouring of healing last weekend with Chuck Perry. I mean, there were just literally probably hundreds that got healed in those healing meetings. These, these signs, wonders, healings are confirmation of the gospel. See, God wants to confirm the gospel through you. That when you are daydreaming on your way into the office because of load shedding, yay! <laughs> Sun is shining and the sky is blue. When you're daydreaming and you get a memory about something that happened a few years ago with one of your work colleagues. And then you remember Sunday. And you remember, oh, wait a moment, maybe this is God speaking to me. Maybe this is, this is a message being downloaded to me right now. And so in that moment, in your daydreaming, when you realize it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and you lean into it a little bit more. And as you lean into it, God starts to download and he starts to speak because he's a speaking God. He's a speaking God. And he starts to, to tell you about what's going on in that work colleague who you had a memory about what's going on in their lives now. And then, and then you start to download a prophetic word. And, and, and then as you're doing all of this, the reality is you're probably going to be a little bit like, ah, God, is this you? Is this just me? Am I daydreaming? Or are you really speaking to me? Is what Daryl said was going to happen really happening? Or am I just making stuff up? I don't know. Ah, God, what's going on? I want to encourage you. Take a step of faith. Because as you step into the unknown, that's what faith looks like. So as you take that little step, as you lean in and say, God, okay, what is this word for this work colleague? That when you then arrive at work and, and, and you find yourself sharing with this work colleague, or you find yourself giving them an encouraging prophetic word, because remember 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, give the prophecies to strengthen, encourage, and comfort and so as you find yourself releasing strength, courage, and comfort to this work colleague, the next thing you see that actually they've got a sore elbow. And so you say after you've encouraged them, or would it be okay if I prayed for you? And so you ask if you can put your hand on the elbow, and they say yes. And you put your hand on the elbow, and you release a prayer of healing into their elbow, and they get healed. You're confirming the gospel. Because you see, you are a living story. <laughs> You're a living testimony. Your work colleagues are watching you, and, and hopefully they know that you're a, you're a believer in Jesus, that you're a Christian. Hopefully they know that you are, and so they're watching you whether you realize it or not. And in that moment, when you take that step of faith, you're confirming the truth of the gospel that they've observed in you for the last however many years. See, you're confirming the gospel by those signs by those healings, by those prophetic words in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, by those miracles, we confirm the gospel. Amen? Monday is coming. And we're excited. <laughs> Aren't you excited about Monday? Aren't you excited about daydreaming with Jesus on the way to work? We'll get there. Don't worry, we'll get there. All right, verse 9 to 11 as we bring this passage to a close. Verse 9. And this is my prayer. 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Knowledge and love. Let me quote Dr. Michael Eaton on love and knowledge. Love is the lamp of knowledge. It illuminates knowledge. Knowledge stops from being knowledge stops love from being superficial emotion and nothing more. On the other hand, the knowledgeable person with little love has something seriously missing in his knowledge. Let me read that again. Love is the lamp of knowledge. It illuminates knowledge. Knowledge stops love from being superficial emotion and nothing more. And on the other hand, the knowledgeable person with little love has something seriously missing in his knowledge. Love and knowledge. Oh, we we need both of these things, these elements, love and knowledge. And, And when we have one in isolation of the other, well, we get led astray. And so when we have love without knowledge, and it's just love, 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 the reality is that we get, we get into heresy. And parts of the church have done this. They've, they've embraced love without knowledge. And so they've been led astray. You get into a theology of that, that the devil's going to get saved because God is just love. Well, no, you haven't read the Bible if that's the conclusion you're coming to. See, love in isolation without knowledge leads you astray. We get into heresy when we have love without knowledge. We need to have love, but we need to have love that is informed. There needs to be knowledge as well. We need the two to stand together in tension, and that's where we find the real truth. But we need love. Let's hone in on love for just a moment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we come back to Philippians, Paul saying, my prayer for you is that more and more you will abound in love. Oh, this love that we've read about in 1 John, that is the love that Christ wants us to abound in, that there'll be more and more of this type of love. Love for the Lord, love for one another, love for our neighbors, love for the world, that we will abound in love. But that love needs to be anchored in knowledge. Let's look at knowledge a little bit now. I think we also know that there are also many areas in the church where perhaps they fell in love with knowledge without genuine love. I've got a family member went to university to study theology and came out an atheist. See, knowledge without love leads you astray. 
knowledge in isolation of his presence and of his goodness, when it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, leads us into heresy. We get led astray. Love in isolation, we get led into heresy and we go astray. Knowledge in isolation without love, we get led into heresy, heresy and we, we go astray. We need both love and knowledge together. They need to hold hands and be together. We need love and knowledge. That's what Paul's saying here in Philippians. More and more that, you, that love might abound and knowledge. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. Love and knowledge. We need to have more and more love and knowledge. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, as we focus in on knowledge. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, it's not the truth in isolation that brings freedom. It's the knowing of the truth. It's the understanding of the truth. It's the embracing of the truth. It's as we know truth that freedom comes. See, knowledge brings freedom because it's the, the knowing of the truth that brings freedom. We need to know the truth and the truth will bring freedom to us. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. We need knowledge. We need love. We need them together. We need to abound in them that more and more we will have love and knowledge. And what is the fruit? What is the outcome? So that, let me read it in Philippians. So that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that, whenever there's a so that, it's because there was something that came before. So that you may be able to discern. That's the first thing we're going to unpack. That you may be able to discern what is best. That you may be pure and blameless. Purity is the second thing we're going to look at. Um, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, fruitful. Let's quickly unpack these in the last few minutes. Discernment. See, when we have love and knowledge together, what do we get? Discernment. In the absence of love and knowledge, we're not able to discern. Discernment enables us to have clarity to see right from wrong. It enables us to see which way we should go. It enables us to make good, godly, wise decisions. See, when there's no discernment, we make poor decisions because there's confusion. We live in a postmodern world. And the whole thing about postmodern thinking is that everything is relative. There is no truth. Your truth is relative to you and my truth is relative to me. And so my truth is that this podium right over here is black. That's my truth. It's black. You can't argue with me because for me it's black and that's what I say is my truth. You say it's, it's white. Well, God bless you in your truth, but that's your truth. My truth is it's black. Come on, the, the world's lost its marbles, man. Like, seriously, we've totally thrown 
truth out the window and say, we don't need truth because everything is relative. No, it's not. There is a God and He sits in the heavens and He gave us scriptures and He gave us truth and He gave us Holy Spirit and He gave us the ability to discern, to know right from wrong and to make good decisions. He gave us the ability to see clearly that we might discern. See, when we hold love, and knowledge together we're able to discern that we don't get caught up in this relative thinking that is hogwash no we see right from wrong we see black and white everything is not gray we're able to make good godly decisions that he might lead us in all righteousness because we're discerning right from wrong when we have love and knowledge the confusion that tries to come over you lifts and you see clearly now. It's kind of like in, when you're driving your car in the rain and you're looking through the windscreen that's covered in rain. Everything's a bit blurry until your wipers come. Love, knowledge gives discernment. That discernment is like a windscreen wiper that wipes away the blurry vision and gives you clarity. Oh, we need more discernment. Discernment is a doorway to living your best life. Let's look at purity. Love, knowledge gives us discernment, gives us purity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul comes at this whole thing about being pure and blameless in chapter 2 and chapter 14 as well. Chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You see, when we have love and knowledge and we put on purity because of that, we become like shining stars. We become pure and blameless. We see again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, as Paul saying that, that we're to think about whatever is right, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, we're called to think about, to embrace, to grab hold of. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You see, when, when we protect our heart, everything flows from, from within. And the purity that we have needs to be protected. Love, knowledge, gives us purity, protects us, keeps us safe. You know, sometimes it's only when we're under a bit of pressure that we know that's really what's inside. It's only when we get squeezed that we realize what's actually inside of us. It's kind of like when you take a, a sponge. It's only when you squeeze that sponge that you can see what really was inside of it as it comes out. Sometimes we get squeezed <laughs> and what's inside comes out. We had a conference last week and normally when there's conferences, we get squeezed. <laughs> so Monday morning, I uh, get a notification um, that our, our bank card um, had bounced. One of our staff was, was, was getting some supplies for the conference and so Bank, bank bounced. A little while later in the morning, I'm needing to do payments because we've got a conference. We've got people from all over the continent here. On the bank, trying to make a payment. Error code, not able to make payments. Oh, 
my buttons are being pushed. I've seen this story before with our bank, and I know this story, and so I phone our banker, but our banker's not answering the phone. And so I text our banker. Our banker's not answering or responding to my messages, and so I keep sending relentless messages because I need help, because I need my bank account, not my, I need the church bank account to be unlocked so that we can make payments, because we need to make payments. He's not responding. My buttons are being pushed. (laughs) But not only is the bank locked, the bank was locked because of a FICA requirement, which they didn't tell us about, and they didn't warn us that we were going to get locked. We just got locked. (laughs) The same thing happened a few months ago. We'll be moving banks. We'll notify you of the change shortly. (laughs) Anyway, bank is locked. Then midway through Monday morning, we got a conference, a couple hundred people on the property arriving shortly. Our internet fiber line crashes, no internet. Now, on our property, we've got solar, we've got a generator, we've got a borehole. We can, we can be independent of all of the city's excellencies or failures. We're self-sufficient. Take away our internet and we fall apart <laughs> because everything lives in the cloud. All of our documents are shared documents that live in the cloud. We can't access anything. We can't see anything. We can't do anything. It's like we're handcuffed, seriously, without internet. Monday morning, bank goes down. Monday morning, fiber line goes down. My buttons are being pushed. I'm being squeezed. And so I contact our ISP, our internet service provider. This is what's going on. What's the story? Oh, 24 to 48 hours, we'll get it resolved. I can't wait 24 hours. I need it resolved now. I've got people on the property and we need internet. We need a function. Do you not understand my problem? Yes, we understand your problem, sir. We apologize for the inconvenience caused, sir. My buttons are being pushed. Tuesday morning, I've heard nothing. Follow up. We apologize for the inconvenience caused, sir. My buttons are being pushed more and more. Wednesday morning, still nothing. My buttons are being pushed more and more and more. Thursday morning, you won't believe it, still nothing. My buttons are being pushed. I'm being squeezed, and things are coming out of me that I didn't know existed in me, and I don't like it. And God, I'm mad, and we need to get this internet resolved because don't you know we've got Chuck Perry coming on Friday, and we're live streaming it on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and we need internet to live stream. ISP, we pay you for a service, and that service enables us to stream our services out there to the world to see, and we can't do that without you, and you've taken more than 48 hours, and my buttons are being pushed now, and where are you? See, sometimes the, 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 the difficulties and the struggles of life come and squeeze us. And it's in those moments that we, we see what's really inside. <laughs> it's in those moments that we realize, how well have I been guarding my heart? How well is the purity within me? Or how much has it been defiled by the troubles in the world, the difficulties that come against us? You see, when we have love and knowledge, We get discernment. We get purity. Protects our heart. Thirdly, fruitfulness. The fruit of righteousness. When we have love and knowledge, we get discernment, we get purity, and we become fruitful. The fruit of his righteousness. 
You were created to be fruitful. It's in your very makeup. It's in your DNA. God created you to be fruitful, and he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be fruitful for him. John 15 verse 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As we remain in him, as we're connected with him, as we are in him, we are fruitful. As we know his love, as we live a life of love, as we become more informed, as we get knowledge, knowledge of the truth of who he is, the knowledge of scripture, as we have these things, we start to walk in the fruit of righteousness. As we abide in him, as he abides in us, we become fruitful. We become fruitful not for our benefit, but for, for his benefit. And you know what all of this is about? Discernment, purity, fruitfulness, all built upon a foundation of love and knowledge. And what does it all lead to? The end of verse 11. To the glory and praise of God. It says, not about you. It's not about your comfort. It's not about what you want. But it's about the glory and praise of a king. His name is Jesus. Won't you stand? Oh, Lord, we want to be fruitful. We want to have abiding fruit that we might become more like you. So, Lord, as we grow, as we abide in you, as we know him more, as we fall more in love with him, may the fruit of all this be that we bring greater praise and glory to Father God. And so as we close, we pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. Lord, this is our prayer, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through you, King Jesus, and that our lives will bring glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.